the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Somebody just leave it up there. You couldn't make that if you tried that again. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by my friend Jared Dubin from 538. You can follow his work on his Patreon at Last Night in Basketball. Is it Patreon or, or Substack? Substack now, yeah. Substack. Substack. It's a great Substack. You're going to get like the best breakdowns nightly off of it. Um, and you can follow his NFL work at CBSSports.com. Jared, thanks for joining me on a late Friday afternoon evening in the on Eastern time as the NBA universe continues to rearrange its molecules and filter through all of the possible <laughs> options of the multiverse. Uh, appreciate you taking a few minutes with us. Thanks for having me, man. Always a good time. So we're going to go through just basically the, the big moves that have happened in the last two days and try and get you a sense for kind of what I'm expecting um, in terms of the odds movement and try and get some intel on like what this is going to look like on a basketball sense. That's where Jared's going to help me out. There's a lot of places to start. We're going to talk KD at the end because that is the least known variable because all we know is that he wants out and we don't know where he's going. We don't know how that's going. Uh, my, my producer, Dan Titus, has constantly been like, if you could record later so that maybe stuff happens and we know so this stuff isn't dead within 10 minutes. And I'm just like, Dan, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Dan. It's No, it's something good. will happen 10 minutes after we hang up. That's yep. just the yep. way it works. That's just how it goes at this time of year. But let's start with the big news from the day, which is that Rudy Gobert is no longer with the Utah Jazz. Danny Ainge, Trader Danny, decided to go ahead and pull the plug. I had gotten, I had reported several times that Chicago was expected to be the team that wound up with Gobert. That was what I heard from like five different, very smart executives that were plugged into various situations around the NBA. It was that they felt like eventually Chicago was going to get there. I think what happened, my read on this, is that Chicago was probably going to try and wait them out and be like, no one's going to offer you a better deal than us. We're going to try and get this deal done without including Patrick Williams. We don't want to include Patrick Williams. And the Jazz were basically like, we're not doing this deal without Patrick Williams. I'm not letting you get out of this without Patrick Williams. You have Patrick Williams, and I want him. And so as that happened, that opened the door for Minnesota to sneak in. I'd heard that there was trade talks of a three-way trade a couple weeks ago of Aiton to Utah, Gobert to Minnesota, and D'Lo to Phoenix. That deal eventually did not come to fruition as they have – Instead, just cut out Phoenix and gone with this directly. That doesn't mean Utah won't get Aiden, but it does mean that there was kind of those conversations in play. And what this ultimately comes down to is Tim Conley was dedicated to getting a center. He looked at Clint Capella. He looked at Rudy Gobert. He looked at DeAndre Aiden. Gobert was the best and, and most available of the two, but it was going to take all of these picks. And universally, I think we could say they gave up too much for Gobert. They're basically betting on themselves here. This better work because Jared, I mean, I have texts that are just like, what are people doing with all these unprotected picks? It's wild how over leveraged and draft capital the Minnesota Timberwolves are. But what do you think? Let's start on the Minnesota side. One, do you think they overpaid for this deal? And two, what do you see as far as the on-court fit and the expected production and efficiency from Minnesota this season? So, I mean, I think we'll start with the easier question. Uh, I think it's pretty clear they overpaid for Gobert. Like, I don't know how you can say the guy is worth 
you know, three unprotected picks and then the top five protected pick, you know, granted they're going to have Carl Towns after he signed his extension under contract through, I believe that last year where the, the biggest top five, or sorry, no, 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 through 2027, if I'm remembering correctly. So it would be through the last unprotected pick and then Gobert through 2026, which would be the year before the last unprotected pick. So through the first two unprotected picks that they gave up. And then Anthony Edwards, they have him under contract technically through 2024, but obviously they have, you know, several years of team control beyond that, unless he signs the qualifying offer, which is not going to happen. They're going to give him the max as soon as he's eligible next offseason, and he's almost certainly going to take it. Um, so they do have, you know, at least those three guys under control through most of the run of what they gave up, but it's still just, even for the player Gobert is now at his peak, I think is probably too much. Um, and then you get into, he just turned 30. You wouldn't expect him to necessarily drop off the cliff immediately, but certainly through the, the next few years of his contract, you would expect this to be at least the beginning of his decline phase. And if he's not the best defender in the league, then I think all of a sudden you're looking at a player who's not a particularly good value anymore. Right now, I think he's probably still a guy who basically guarantees you a top 10 defense just from being on the floor. We've seen that through you know, his entire career in Utah. And I think even playing alongside Towns and D'Angelo Russell, and you know, I think Anthony Edwards got better on defense last year. I don't know if I would necessarily say he's like a pure positive just yet. So even playing alongside like two, two and a half negative defenders, I think that, that, that Gobert probably makes you a borderline-ish top 10 defense. But I, I don't know what that necessarily does for them. Like, are they a top five team in the West now? I don't know. Like, I don't think you could say definitively yes. So I'm sort of like working my way through these thoughts here. I, they gave up so much for a player that I, I like more than you, I think we could say, based on, yeah. you know, our, our Slack conversations that we've had in the past. It's usually like me and Seth against you in, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the relative value of Gobert compared to some other guys. But even I think that this was, it's, it's just too much. And the fit, like Towns will make the fit work offensively he's such a good shooter he's so versatile and you know there aren't enough teams that have someone that you can put on towns and then be like we're going to switch everything with gobert and force gobert to beat us there's just too much that minnesota has but you are probably going to run into a team that could do that in the playoffs so i i don't know like i really like the player that they got i don't particularly like the value and i think that there's a high probability that at some point before the end of Gobert's deal, three years from now, they're going to run into a situation where he's not worth close to what he's being paid because he's a top 20 defensive player in the league as opposed to top five. So I, I kind of come out, you know, I'm expecting the Wolves win total to be somewhere around 50-ish um, this season. I, if it's north of like 55, obviously I'm going to be like, no, no, there's no way. If it's 52, which I actually, I think it's probably, I have a hard time seeing them put a, putting up a Wolves win total at 52, given how good the rest of the Western Conference is. So like, I kind of lean towards if this is going to be like 47 and a half, like Denver's last year was 47 and a half, right? Without MPJ and Jamal Murray. I kind of think we're going to see like a 48 and a half, 49 there. And at that point, I think there's probably value on the over just because look, Minnesota's offense is all, is going to be popping. Like it's They've got too much firepower. Anthony Edwards We'll see what they, I will. The one thing I will say is we got to see what they do with D'Angelo Russell because it's been yeah. out there and it's been known that they are looking to move D'Lo. 
like they want to move D'Lo. If they bring in a point guard that may not have as much name recognition, but is like, oh, wow, that's like a really good point guard. Like he's just efficient and will do the job and he's a good shooter. If they pull that move off, I don't know if they can, but if they pull that move off. Now, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, you have, if you have a, a, a point guard that can pass to go bear for lobs, you have cat like shooting's not going to be a problem. They have as much as it's a joke. Like it's true though. Cat's the best shooting big in the league. Like he's an elite three point shooter. And so like, if you have Ant and cat and you have Gobert's room gravity and you have anybody at guard and you have Kyle Anderson and you have these other weapons, um, even with what they gave up in the trade. Cause like, I don't really consider like Vando was the, to me was the bigger loss than Beasley. Um, even with all that, like I still look at this and go, that's probably going to be a top eight offense. Gobert pretty much guarantees you a top 10. Like last year, the perimeter defense had to be terrible and he had to miss a bunch of games for them not to be a top 10 defense. So they're going to be top 10 in both categories. That's probably a 51 team. Does that logic kind of sound out right? Like I don't want any part of Wolves title futures. I, if you ask me like when we look at the, if you want to fade Minnesota, it's going to have to be when they put out the seating props and it's going to be like, they'll have to put the Wolves probably, you know, over under five and a half or maybe six and a half. And that's a point where you can be like, I don't think they're going to be as good as Warriors, Clippers, Nuggets, Phoenix, depending on what happens with KD. Um, even if not, probably they'll be better uh, depending on what they get for Aiden. And then like, you know, Memphis, if you believe in Memphis, all right, now you're at six already. Like they've, you're already at six. So even if you just take the five, then it's like, you're just betting them to be not better than all 10 other teams. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. But no, I, I think I agree with you. I didn't realize that they had won 46 games last year. I thought they were in like the 43, 44 range. Um, so they're already pretty close to 50. And I think barring injuries, I mean, they should be a better team next year. Like their defense is going to be so much better. And, you know, people will talk about, you know, spacing concerns with Gobert and McDaniels on the court together a lot of the time. But they were starting Vando last season. He wasn't a threat outside you know, the immediate area of the rim either. So it's not like their spacing will be that much worse. And obviously Gobert has, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of gravity as, you know, a roller toward the rim. He's one of the best pick and roll dive men in the league. So that should add like another element, at least to their offense. They didn't necessarily have like a dive element last year. Towns can do it, but he's more of a, a pick and pop or pick and roll into the post than, you know, pick and big time lob kind of guy um I, I would agree with you too i don't think they're done the the russell stuff has been out there they were heavily involved in Dejounte murray and i think if they had been able to do that they would I, like they wouldn't have done this and they would have said like we'll figure something else out at center try to sign somebody uh you know for the mid-level or something along those lines but i, I think they need some more shooting and a couple more wings I, like the wing depth beyond kyle anderson and anthony edwards is not great uh, Bodie, you want to come up? Go ahead. Hmm. Sorry, my dog. Every time that I'm talking to someone who's not in the room, he gets jealous and he <laughs> wants to come and say hello. So he's now sitting in my lap. Um, yeah, so I, I think they need more shooting and some help on the wings. And and I think that a D'Angelo trade, they would ideally like to help them get there. And like they have McLaughlin, who's a pretty good backup point guard. Um, but it's it's an unfinished roster that I think is, as of now, better but i don't know like better enough to be what like 
Do you win a round in the playoffs? Maybe. Is it a Western Conference Finals team yet? I don't think so. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with it. But there, there's merit to being a team where, like, you know is going to make the playoffs and be good and fun to watch. Like, that's a lot better than my favorite team has been over the last 20 years. Here's a Knicks fan, for those that don't know. Uh, so, okay. I don't want to necessarily talk about Utah right now because we just don't know which direction they're going. First, there was mm-hmm. reports that they're going to build around Mitchell, and now the Salt Lake Tribune is kind of pushing back on that and saying, like, well, they're keeping their options open when it comes to Mitchell. They did trade Royce O'Neal, which <laughs> infamously, like, like everyone made fun of the whole Brian Windhorst segment. Windy was spot on. Like, Brian was 100% on target. Like, he was right, though. Like, we'll see what winds up happening with the Jazz. I will just tell you that, like, my lean's going to be towards the under. It's for the win total. It's just a matter of I don't even if they get Aiden, I don't know that I'm going to be able to talk myself into the jazz being as good as they were with Gobert. Like Gobert just provides a really high floor where it's like, look, there's all these things he can't do in the playoffs. I wrote about them. I did a video for action. Like I have all these things. But the key is that if you get somebody that could do those things and not do all the awesome stuff that Gobert does well, you're still going to be a worse team because Gobert, the stuff Gobert does is like that's basic stuff, possession in and possession out. It's drop coverage in the regular season. It's rebounding. It's rim protection. It's all these things. So um, that's one I think to keep in mind. Let's go to the other big move from today, which was the one that shifted the title out the most. The Boston Celtics traded essentially a bench poo-poo platter uh, and he protected first round pick for Malcolm Brogdon. I wasn't surprised. I tried to put this out several times. I've been writing about this on action in the Intel updates since the end of the season. Indiana, after the trade deadline, they tried to move it, brought in the trade deadline. They couldn't find a deal. Basically at that point, like by the end of the season, when they really committed to Halliburton and we're like, all right, this is going to like, this is what we want to do. And when they decided that they wanted to really go in for a rebuild, once they got clearance from ownership on that, they basically took Malcolm Brogdon to the end of their driveway, put him on out on the on the corner with a little sign that says free for anybody that wants to get him. So like they have been like it, it's like when uh, you're out and you've got that friend that you like need to find someone for him to hang out with. So you because you've got other things that you need to do. Uh, that's definitely what is going on here. Like they just needed somebody to hang out with Malcolm Brogdon. And, and it really wasn't even about the return. Like, I don't think that the, I don't think the Pacers cared about what their return was because I don't think that they thought they were getting almost anything back for him. And as such, uh, he goes for almost nothing. And now the Celtics pick up basically the perfect player for what I think that they, that they needed. Um, I got into a lot of arguments with Celtics fans because they're, they're understandably very defensive of Marcus smart. And it's not that I'm against Marcus. I think Marcus is awesome and he does a lot of good things. My point was always like, look, I don't even necessarily think you need to get rid of Marcus. I'm not saying like Marcus has got to go like in Minnesota. D'Lo needs to go like D'Lo should have been eating that Grizzly series up when they forced them to go small and he couldn't do it. So that's different from this. You don't need to get rid of Marcus smart. You just needed somebody that would be like, Hey, let's, let's get the offense organized here. Hey, let's, let's kind of get a good quality possession here. Brogdon's really good at that stuff. Brogdon's really good at seeing the game and understanding it. He doesn't need the ball. Everyone's like, but he's not an on-ball point guard. I'm like, I'm not saying that you need someone to run the, like, you don't need someone to run 50, 100 pick and rolls with. You have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You need someone who's going to make sure that the offense is organized. And I think that Brogdon fits that perfectly. High-level defender. 
good shooter when he's had some bad years, but ultimately I think that's injuries and the spacing in, in, in Indiana. I think he can be a quality shooter. Uh, gives them another option. He's apparently going to come off the bench, which I think is a little weird, but it's fine. And it makes the team that made, went to the finals better for almost no loss whatsoever. Like there's just no significant cost here. It just makes them better. It's an injury risk. That's the problem here is that he just, he can't play more than 60 games ever. He missed almost all of last year because they kept having to load manage him to make sure his Achilles didn't explode. So that's a problem. <laughs> but for what they, it cost him. So I, I will phrase it to you this way though, Jerry. Do you think that the Boston Celtics should be by the odds favorite to win the NBA title next year? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I would probably say them or Milwaukee. Because I think that it's just more difficult right now to get through the West. So the favorite overall should probably be coming from the East. And I let, like that Boston-Milwaukee series obviously was quite close last year. No Middleton, no Robert Williams. There was a game that Marcus Smart missed. There were, like Al Horford had COVID at the end of it or whatever it was because uh, he wound up missing the first game of the conference finals. So he probably already had it uh, at that point and get tested till later. Like, But I think that those two teams are the best two teams in the East Boston has gotten, I think, I don't know about a lot better, but certainly better with the Brogdon trade and with signing Gallo. Um, I don't know how much better Milwaukee has gotten. I would say it's between those two teams and there's probably more people that would like to bet on Boston. So make their odds shorter, I guess I'm with you. I, I love Brogdon for them. It's like, what if Derek white was bigger um, and he, you know, could guard like one to three instead of just one and twos. Um, he can play on and off the ball, which I think is good. Like, you know, you mentioned you're not going to, they don't want somebody running a hundred pick and rolls a game. Like Tatum's going to run most of the offense. Brown's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Marcus Smart's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Like having another guard who can both run pick and rolls, control the offense, play off the ball. Brogdon was a better shooter in Milwaukee when Giannis had the ball in his hands a lot because it's obviously easier to shoot spot ups and, He's really good attacking closeouts. Like he'll provide another outlet for those guys when they're working off the dribble and another good shooter that can make the defense pay. Like I, I just like everything about it for them. There's more instability here just in terms of, I think Indiana's probably going to look to move. Like TJ Warren's gone. That's pretty much an agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to look to move Miles Turner. They're going to look at Buddy Heald. There are a lot of center dominoes to fall at this point, right? Man, like we'll Aiden, see that's what I, think I, I talked to two people last night, two guys that worked for teams, and they were just like, look, center is the toughest market right now. Honestly, like that's why Denver got DeAndre Jordan right out of the gate. And everyone's like, why was your first move DeAndre Jordan? And it's literally that they were like, because we didn't want to risk literally having to pull in a guy off of G League. We wanted an NBA guy, and we wanted to not have to get involved in the arms race for all these centers because the more of them they get off, the remaining guys get higher competitive offers. And we were able to get a guy on a minimum contract now to basically be, they don't even view him as their backup. Like the expectation is that like DeAndre Jordan's going to be their third center. So that's, that's a, that was like a very telling thing of good. That, yeah, exactly. They're not like, Ooh, wow, we got DeAndre Jordan. They are just very much like, no, we needed a backup center and we didn't want to get involved because I will tell you, like, look at this, like the market for centers right now is bonkers. Like teams, like Isaiah Hartenstein was a very nice player last year for the Clippers. He's been a good player. I think Isaiah Hartenstein's really good, but like 
the Knicks are, are basically like, Hey, we got Isaiah Hardenstein and Jalen Brunson. Like that's like a big addition for him for a guy that has been a career backup and is, is undersized. I like, again, like Hardenstein a lot. That was a good signing for the Knicks. The value on these centers is getting to be really out of whack in part because so many guys have converted to power forward because that's where the league is gone. But teams are very much like we need bodies. Like I need someone that can actually play 15 minutes versus Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid or Carl Anthony Towns or whoever to be able to hang in there. So the center market, I think, is is really out of control, which is one of the reasons I'm wondering what's going to happen with Turner. Um, Mm -hmm. If some team is going to be like, well, screw it. We need an option here. Let's go ahead and trade for Turner. So there's a lot to figure out with Indiana. Needless to say, they're going to be in the Womanyama sweepstakes. This could be them, uh, along with a few other teams, including, uh, I would say, the San Antonio Spurs, who traded DeJounte Murray, clutch client, to Atlanta to play with Trey Young, a clutch client. And so they let Lonnie Walker the fourth head on out. He joins the Lakers, clutch client. And let's talk about Atlanta here real quickly. I don't personally think Atlanta's done i i don't get that no, no, no. sense whether it's like they like gallo's gone they trade gallo in the Dejounte deal they were going to move his salary anyway um i think they moved harder to uh moved, moved harder to, to sacramento. sacramento so you could make the argument that they're going to be able to just stick around here they haven't been able to get the offer for john collins that they want i don't know what that is but they haven't gotten the offer yet i still kind of believe that it's going to be hard to run it back with him. Um, so I guess let's start here. Do you think the Hawks will be better than last year or the year prior with DeJounte Murray, no herder, no, um, no Gallo, which is a big loss. Um, do they are, do they project right now as better to you? And assuming they get good return on John Collins, do you think they're maybe, going to be better than expected or are you kind of like "Mm, we'll see i think they'll be better than last year just they should theoretically be healthier than they were last year and i think that they were one of the worst teams in the league at forcing turnovers last year murray is one of the best in the league at forcing turnovers they really needed that kind of combo guard kind of guy that can defend anybody on the wing Uh, you know they're and i think if they move collins then all of a sudden you're looking at probably like Trey, Murray, Bogdanovich, Hunter, Capella. And I think you're a little bit more flexible. There's a little bit more space, even though you're not playing, um, you know, even though you have Murray out there instead of Herter, you don't have two bigs. And, you know, you don't ever have anybody camping out in the dunker spot for the most part. Um, You can get a little bit more creative in terms of two ball handlers. You can use Trey off the ball a little bit more up and he's never going to be Steph where he's like flying around a hundred screens a game off the ball and somebody else is running the offense all the time, but you can weaponize that a little bit more. Of course he has to be willing to do that, which for the most part he hasn't been so far in his career. And he has to be willing to not chuck up, you know, the 30 footers as soon as he steps across court after his guy scored on him because he wants to get back at them. But there's a, there's still a lot of talent there and with whatever you get from college, you can lengthen, the rotation back out to where it was last year to sort of replace what you lose in, in Gallo and Herter and Collins. Like they brought in Justin Holiday, who's another good shooter in uh in that in that deal that it was Holiday, Harkless, and a King's first round pick that's 
protected, so it's probably not going to be a first-round pick eventually because it's the Kings, and how many times have they picked outside the top 10 in the last 15 years? But I think they'll be better than last year, but probably not like a conference finals team. Last two things I want to talk about um, real quick. This is one just real briefly. The Warriors are basically in, in, counting on internal improvement. They lose Gary Payton mm-hmm. II to Portland, who that was like their, that was a pretty big signing for them. They're, they're basically trying to build defensive wings around Dame to make that work. I'm still skeptical of how their defense is going to be with Dame and Nurkic. Um, but Golden State loses Gary Payton II. They retain Kevon Looney, which was expected. Bielitsa signed in Turkey. And so now... Otto Porter to uh, Toronto. And Otto Porter to Toronto. So they lose three guys who played minutes in the finals. Bielitsa, scant Mm -hmm. minutes, but the rest, the other two, significant minutes. These guys were important for their regular season performance. They were important for their playoff run. The gambit, so to speak, the bet is on Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga to make the leap. Now, I like those guys both quite a bit. Moses Moody was one of my favorite draft picks last year. Prospects, I like how he looked this year. I think he's only going to be better. Loved Kaminga. I like, I love, I loved Kaminga. We bet, one of my biggest bets in the draft last year was Kaminga over. And then it was a good example of how I like this job because it lets me bet on the intel that tells me over, even when I like the prospect. And immediately when I saw Kaminga in Summer League, I was like, oh, I like this guy. He's going to be good. And he was really good for them. And I think the next year he can be even better. But my question for you is the Warriors have slipped a little bit in these title odds. Like the defending champions are now four, have the fourth highest odds over at FanDuel. They're plus 650. Now it's a difference of plus 500 for the Celtics to plus 650 for the Warriors. Do you think that those guys can make up the difference and the Warriors can be just as good next year? Or do you think that these roster changes are going to have an impact on Golden State next season to the degree where maybe we have to see what they look like before buying into them. I think they have an impact just because Kerr might not have as much confidence putting Moody or Kuminga out there as he would with Peyton or Porter because those guys have less experience and they've seen, you know, throughout his time as the coach that he's a little bit reluctant to trust the young guys with, you know, quite as big a minutes. But, you know, having Clay for the full season next year, not having to reintegrate him on the fly and having the roles more clearly delineated with, with him and Steph and, and Jordan Poole, um, I think should help make up some of that. Not having Draymond miss half the season should help make up some of that, you would hope. Um, so I guess long way of saying, like, I think that there will be a little adjustment to those guys having more of a regular role in the rotation and maybe that, you know, affects them in the regular season a bit. But by the time the playoffs come around, Kerr's going to know which eight or nine guys that he wants to use all the time and which two or three guys he's going to want to use like sparingly and sort of rotate them through whichever spots based on the matchup. And, you know, I, I think I trust him to figure out who that is at this point. We've seen in basically every season where they haven't been extremely hurt, he's figured out what to do and it's worked out really, really well for them. And uh, whether that means Kamingo plays a lot, and I really like him too, and I think he brings something they don't really have just with the, the uber athleticism and the pressure that he puts on the rim and just flying around the court like crazy. Um, it's something they don't really have. And then Moody is just another really terrific shooter, can guard multiple positions. I think that him being able to create off the dribble a bit more will be important 
uh, if they want to get him into the rotation in one of those slots. But I'm not particularly worried about them, I guess I would say. Yeah, it seems like having Steph Curry uh, is pretty helpful. The shooty hoops rule. Yeah. So, and you're a big shooty hoops guy these I days. I know that. Big shooty hoops guy because you can get them at good value. Uh, last thing, I'm not going to ask you for, to predict this Kevin Durant thing. I think it's nuts that we're doing. I think it's nuts that we're doing. I thought the last thing was going to be Bruce Brown. Well, Come on. well, well, okay. I'll, I will throw you a bone here as Bruce Brown is your dude for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, I'll just ask this. Like, look, the Nuggets had probably the worst signing of the offseason, DeAndre Jordan. I'm not, I, I think mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay with, in terms of player, player, not the worst contract, player. No, I mean, he should be their fifth center. Yes. So, Jokic, Green, Najee, Brown. <laughs> but Denver adds KCP as an upgrade over Will Barton in terms of he's a better shooter, he's a better defender, and he's two years younger. They add Bruce Brown mm-hmm. as a connector and a multifaceted, like their versatility now is through the roof. Like their ability mm-hmm. now to, one of the things that is very underrated in this, whether for injury or defensive purposes, the Nuggets do not have to use MPJ right now. And that's a really big deal. When MPJ is in, a, in an advantageous matchup, MPJ healthy is a destroyer of worlds mpj in a bad matchup is an absolute liability and it's a huge problem their ability now to basically be like we're gonna run jamal murray kcp bruce brown aaron gordon nikola Jokic. that's three really strong defenders Jokic that works fine within his scheme and jamal murray who before the injury was a plus defender he worked really hard to get to that point um denver i think has made probably the quietest upgrade in terms of probably going from I said I described it this way that they went from maybe an eight on a 10 point scale to an 8.5 to 8.75 maybe a nine that's kind of where I put Denver in the stock of things versus teams like Boston Golden State the Clippers that I I would put in the 10 range I think that between you know swapping uh Barton for KCP um signing Bruce Brown and converting Davon Reed from a two-way to a regular deal that to me that signals confidence in like we're going to have at least Jamal Murray and hopefully Michael Porter Jr. back this year because they're pivoting hard to we need flexibility and defense on the wing more than we need creation and any kind of offense even though those guys do have their virtues as offensive players uh you know KCP as a shooter Brown as like a roller and playmaker and at least from the corners a non-disaster shooter if you leave him open um and then reed i think has shown he can hit outside at least a little bit yeah um but he's going to be more of a, a back end of the rotation kind of guy anyway but prioritizing defense at, at those spots i think signals confidence that like they like what they're seeing from jamal and they hopefully like what they're seeing from porter um and i think that you know specifically with the brown signing it was a, a nice comeback from DeAndre, especially because of the fit with Jokic and the way that you could, you know, use him as a cutter or as a short roller. They love running those inverted pick and rolls with Jokic, whether it's Jamal screening for him. Now you can have another small guy screening for him. Um, It's like they have now Aaron Gordon and like smaller Aaron Gordon. Um, You know, they have the the three, four Aaron Gordon and the two, three Aaron Gordon, basically. So I, I really like that for them. And it gives them a lot more flexibility than they had last year there are 16 players in nba history to have attended the u the university of miami your alma mater uh two of those 16 players play on the 2022 23 
Denver Nuggets. So I will send. It's probably the most in history. I will send a jersey your way, my man. Uh, last question. Look, I'm not going to ask you about where Kevin Durant's going. I think it's dumb that we're trying <laughs> to speculate. I think this is an absurd um, conversation built off of there's a power struggle happening right now with the Nets basically trying mm-hmm. to be like, well, we've got your rights. And then everyone being like, yeah, but I don't want to trade for Kevin Durant if he doesn't want to be here because that does not sound fun. And so um, the only thing I will ask you is if Kevin Durant goes to Phoenix, I would assume you would agree with me that they become the title favorite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I mean, assuming they don't give up literally everybody on the team, right. like if they still have Booker and Chris Paul and one of, I guess, Crowder, Bridges, and Cam Johnson. Like, I think that you probably got to make them the favorite. If Kevin Durant goes to Miami and they don't have to give up, ooh, they don't have to give up Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo. I'm not willing to put anybody else on the list of untouchable. But Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, everybody else is at least possibly traded. Kevin Durant to Miami, does that make Miami the title favorite if they've got Jimmy Butler, KD, and Bam? Probably at the books, but I don't know if I would say I'd pick them as the most likely team to win just because of the inherent injury risk. Is there any other team? Um, the Lakers are one that's going to keep persisting. I physically don't understand the mechanics of this. I guess if you traded Russ and AD, mm-hmm. you could make KD Kyrie work. I want to put that aside for right now because it's such an insane concept. Like it's possible because this is the NBA. I just don't want Boston right now. If it's Jalen Brown, uh, they certainly they would remain the favorites. Yeah, they would remain the favorites. Is there any other team that you would look at and go, that team would be the favorites that you could reasonably see? Because if Utah were to trade for him, which is being discussed, I don't make them a title favorite. Doesn't really matter what else they add around him. Um, There's talk of New Orleans. I I don't I don't think if you add Kevin Durant. To that team, even with Zion, I don't put them as the title favorite. I just think that they're not there yet. Um, no, me neither. I also think it hasn't been a particularly like I love New Orleans. It's one of my favorite cities in the country. Players have not been lining up really to play there, and I can't imagine Katie being like, "Yeah, send me there." Right. Um, and you've mentioned like I don't think they're getting Katie to go somewhere that he doesn't want to go. I think there's a universe where a Toronto deal makes them the favorite. Yeah. Um, depending on what they give up. And I had one more in my head, but I, oh, if they, they would have to do something else because they couldn't have Michael Porter and Ben Simmons on the team at the same time. But if Denver traded for him with Porter, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that they would probably vault themselves into the favorites. Problem is Denver doesn't have the draft equity. That's Denver's problem. Yeah. Um, Toronto, I don't think is going to happen. And the reason is if you're the Nets, you're basically you asked for, like, ask for Scotty Barnes and I see if I'm, if I'm the Nets, I'm asking for Pascal Siakam and, and well, no, I'm asking for one of OG or Pascal and Scotty Barnes and mm-hmm. one Messiah's going to be like, no. And then two, you know, Messiah's going to be like, I don't have a guarantee that KD will stay here, even though he's got a four year deal. I don't know that I can, I can guarantee that I can retain him. So I can't give up that much. And the Nets are going to be like, we're not incentivized because this is not a destination that Kevin's asking us to move him to. So for me, that makes it really difficult. I'll just go back to this. You're going to hear a lot in the coming days about like, well, the Nets have all the cards here because he has a four-year deal. NBA stars go where they want to go. There are exceptions. Kawhi Leonard did not want to go to Toronto. 
That's an exception. They were, they were dealing with an exceptional organization in the San Antonio Spurs with an exceptional situation with the injury situation and like a lot of complications. Paul George did not want to go to Oklahoma City, but he was fine with it based off of the fact that he had a relationship with Russell Westbrook. Like mm-hmm. PG was not mad about that. He was not like pissed that he wound up in OKC, right? Paul George is also very different from Kevin Durant. He's just different. So ultimately, I can't get to a point where I, I still say the majority of these moves wind up happening with the player going somewhere they want to go. That's my starting point for where Kevin Durant lands, and we'll see what happens and bet on it accordingly. I agree. The, the thing with the, the Phoenix option, though, is if it involves an Aiden sign-and-trade to Brooklyn, and it's possible that Aiden gets sign-and-traded somewhere else and the Nets get other assets, but if it involves an Aiden sign-and-trade to Brooklyn, the issue they run into is not the, the two Roseville guys on the same team issue, but the hard cap. They're, get, they're really close to butting up against the hard cap if they get taken like Aiden and Bridges um, obviously, they could take back less salary in a Kyrie trade, but that basically takes the Lakers off the table because it would have to be Russ, and they wouldn't be able to take back that extra $11 million unless they did something else somewhere else. So it would sort of limit their options in a Kyrie deal and maybe force them to give up something with him instead of getting assets back if they were to send Kyrie to L.A. So there's a, a lot of different considerations that make Every, uh, and already, in, Bodie, what do you want? Um, and already incredibly complicated. Okay, fine. An already incredibly complicated situation, much more complicated because of all of the cat minutia that people don't like to hear about, but is actually the way everything works. Well, I will let you and Bodie hang out and enjoy the rest of free agency. Jared Dubin from 538. You can catch his work on Twitter at jadubin 5 you can find his work on the NFL at cbssports.com. And you can subscribe to a Substack last night in basketball. Great, great program. Uh, great newsletter. Gonna get, if you want to like know what's going on in the league, the details are all in there. Jared, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I always appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. We'll break down where all this free agency chaos has landed, if it has landed yet. And we'll get you set for where the best value is. Uh, Brandon Anderson should be back by then. And mm, we're going to need some therapy for Brandon after the Gobert trade. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that. Until then, enjoy your 4th of July weekend, folks. Have yourselves a great day. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys again next time. Let's get buckets.